Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm very glad you could be with us today. You know, we've talked here for years about the fact that the brain does not and cannot generate consciousness. Instead, there is one vast eternal mind that continuously manifests reality, and each of our minds is part of that one mind. We've also talked about the fact that our minds are eternal. We've discussed how we know it is impossible for them ever to die. We've talked about the fact that we come to earth to experience negativity and thereby to grow spiritually. All of this is certain, and we learned it years ago. I learned it by a very strange, actually, set of corresponding coincidences, if you think about it. We have nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from people that we used to think were dead, and many of them were received in ways far more effective than what we can receive any communications today. And I'm also an expert on the gospel teachings of Jesus. And you know what? There is so much correspondence between those two pieces of widely disparate information that not only can we prove each one by how much it agrees with the other, but we also learn so much about what's going on. And I only tell you about some of it here. So much more is amazing. It's amazing. And I pieced it all together to 20, 25 years ago, perhaps, using those two sources. And eventually, early part of this century, we started to get good quantum physics for dummies books. And they confirmed what I'd learned, but they didn't really add much that was new. Because, frankly, quantum physics is the prevalent physics in the, in the greater reality we enter at death. So I was thrilled a couple of years back to encounter the great young Dutch scientist Bernardo Kastrup, wonderful man. He had used neither of my sources, but just by looking freshly at the mainstream scientific evidence, he had reached essentially all my same conclusions. And I was delighted, too, when at about the same time I came across a remarkable book out in 2018 called An End to Upside-Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. I know that's a mouthful, but the book is exactly what it says it is. The author of An End to Upside-Down Thinking was... You know, neither a researcher like me, an, an attorney, or nor a uh, an, an afterlife expert, nor um, a scientist. Instead, he was a very successful young businessman who had you know tugged on a string, and he had come up with such a wellspring of truth based on scientific information from so many sources that in two years he had essentially replicated most of the discoveries that had taken me decades. Mark Gober was our guest there here almost two years ago now to talk about that first book. And now he joins us today with his new book called An End to Upside Down Living, Reorienting Our Consciousness to Live Better and Save the Human Species. This is an amazing book. Mark Gober is a Princeton graduate who had a brilliant traditional career, first on Wall Street, believe it or not, then in Silicon Valley. And then he kicked over the traces. That first book came out in 2018. He then launched a podcast called Where Is My Mind, which features interviews with dozens of world-leading experts. 
He's joined the board of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, or IONS, in Petaluma, California, which was founded, as I think most of you know, in 1973 by former Apollo 14 astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell. And its website is noetic.org, but I'll give you all the websites in the notes to this program. Mark is also on the board of a new spiritual education platform in Retreat Center near Asheville, North Carolina, that's called the School of Wholeness and Enlightenment. I'll give you that website, too. And as a plus, he's also a huge fan of Bernardo Castrups. Mark, welcome. I'm so glad to have you back with us. Thank you for that warm introduction, Roberta. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we we do have fun doing this, don't we? Talking yes. about talking about all of this is so thrilling because the news is so good. But first, can you tell us just a little bit about your your past for those who haven't heard your first interview? Sure. As you mentioned, my background is in business. I began my career on Wall Street in 2008. So right during the financial crisis, I started in July of 2008 and worked there until 2010 joined a firm where I eventually became partner called Sherpa Technology Group, advising technology companies. And it was in 2016 where I learned of some of the science that you mentioned, science that questioned the conventional paradigm about reality and suggested that there are other dimensions to reality, that psychic phenomena are real and not paranormal, that our consciousness continues when the body dies, that there's a sense of interconnectivity at the fundamental level of reality. I learned about some of this through listening to podcasts, kind of randomly listening to business and health podcasts, caught wind of this. And that was enough to shift me because I realized how significant a worldview change could be. And that led to my writing books and doing what I'm doing now. You know, many people would have heard those same podcasts and picked up bits of the same information and said, hey, I'm a big deal, big deal financial guy. I don't I, I could just ignore all of this. Why could you not ignore what you were saying? Do you know? I thought about that a lot. I think part of it was that I I was always kind of an existential thinker wondering whether life had meaning or not. And I concluded that life had no meaning. That was my prior worldview, that when the body dies, there's no consciousness. There can't be meaning to life in this big random universe. So nothing actually matters in the end. When we die, it's over. No matter what happens while we're living, that meaning is wiped out upon physical death. So when I learned that there was an alternative, that had rippling implications for everything that I did in my life and thought about in my life. So no matter what kinds of success I experienced in life, they needed to be recontextualized. And that has led to a drastically different worldview and way of living. (laughs) I just love hearing that. So how has an end to upside down thinking been received? By the way, I loved your first book, too. I think that I'm, I'm later going to tell everybody that I think you all ought to read both of these books, even if you've read my books. It's a different perspective. All the information comes from different sources. But all the conclusions are essentially the same with some interesting differences that you and I will talk about, Mark. But how has your book been received? The first one. Well, it's interesting as an author. One of the things I didn't anticipate is that I think relative to the number of people that have consumed the book, I've heard from a few of them. So I do do receive positive feedback. Most of the feedback I get is, is very positive. And some people say that it shifted their perspective. They didn't know the science existed just like me. And that's why I wrote the book. So I would say overall, from what I've heard, the feedback has been positive. But 
there's I mean, you have used a lot of the scientists who are in this field as your sources and you think of them as your your mentors. But this is yet we have yet to get to the place where they can't ignore a book, the, the, the broader scientific community. So they've ignored this one. Right. The first one. It seems that way. We're almost two years out since the publication, a little under two years, and the paradigm has not shifted. But it seems like the shifts are happening more on an individual level, almost kind of yes. underground. Yes, and I think that's what's supposed to happen. But but um, what's great, what I loved finding Bernardo and you almost at the same time because it's, I was thinking, the world is shifting. This is terrific, and that was – Two years ago. So obviously we don't understand the timing, but the, indeed there is timing and there is, is change going on. Okay, so you say this about of an end to upside down living. You say the purpose of this book is to explore with precision where we should set our life's compass. What do I mean by should? I was more interested, frankly, in knowing what you meant by compass. But you immediately said, what do I mean by should? I mean that I'm looking for an orientation that most closely aligns with the true nature of reality. Well, that's exactly what we all should be looking for. In other words, you say this exercise requires having a perspective on what life is, who and what we are, what matters and why. Our orientation is set on the basis of those foundational beliefs. And then you add, my research has led me to reason that our collective orientation as a civilization is completely off the mark due to a deep scientific misunderstanding of reality. We aren't just one degree off either. We are 45 or 90. In fact, we're close to 180 degrees off. I loved that. That was a wonderful summary of exactly what you were finding. And I would just add that we have the same problem with religions. They're also 180 degrees wrong. They're no mm-hmm. closer, even though they're trying to be spiritual, no closer at all to, to what's true on a fundamental level about reality. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you feel you the, that you succeeded in in setting resetting people's compass if mm-hmm. if they follow your instructions? Do you feel you it, it worked, or what are you hearing from people well, too? For me personally, there's been a big shift, and that's really what I've been trying to do is to to convey what my journey has been. And for for those for some people that will resonate, and others maybe it won't. But I'm. It's had such a positive impact on my life that I wanted to share with others. Now, whether there has actually been such an effect in people, again, the number the number of people that get back to me is pretty small. So I can relay the feedback of certain people close to me and then a few pieces of feedback I've gotten through social media or emails. And some people have said that they are their lives are shifting because they just approach life differently. And the way that might manifest for me might be different than the way it manifests for someone else, but the approach could be the same. Everyone, just to give you a sense of perspective, um, as you, as some of you know who've read my books, what I have done is to go strictly with the teachings of Jesus. They served me very well in figuring out reality. So, what, what do they have to tell us about growing spiritually? And I found, to my amazement, they have quite a lot to tell us. I was a guinea pig, but now a lot of other people have tried those teachings too and found the same thing. That's not what Mark did. Mark does nothing whatsoever with anything to do with Christianity, in part because you're Jewish, right? I mean, this, this, this would be a departure beyond belief if you were to, to look at the teachings. But the wonderful thing is you use Eastern teachings, and you get very deeply into them. I'm pretty familiar with some of what you've done, and you really have, I think, mastered quite a bit of what the Eastern uh, uh, gurus and, and sages say. 
And you, you also have figured out how that will help you grow spiritually. Meditation, to me, that's the M word. I never meditate. <laughs> but you've used it beautifully, and you've also given us a lot of the perspective of other people who have used meditation and other of these tried-and-true techniques. Talk a little bit about that. Well, meditation for me is a pretty new practice. I struggled with it once I, when I first learned of this general realm. Meditation is one of the topics that comes up pretty quickly, and I couldn't sit for more than five minutes. I didn't really want to do it. And it was earlier in 2020 that I went on a silent meditation retreat where I was going to force myself to sit for a few days in silence, no electronic devices, no reading, no gesturing at people. It was with a spiritual teacher named Mukti, and then I later went on one with a teacher named Adyashanti, their husband and wife. And so this retreat seemed to open something up in me energetically at a physical level where I started to feel energies flow through my body that I had sort of read about and maybe never thought they would happen to me. But then they started to happen spontaneously and what some call chakras or energy centers like the third eye. I started to feel that pounding and had some profound experiences which have since continued. So since that first meditation retreat, which actually came right before I wrote the book, um, I, I wrote the book the week after coming out of that retreat. <laughs> Uh, something shifted, and I don't know if I can explain it, but something happened. <laughs> no, I, I, I know what you mean about that beyond uh, easy explanation, change. Um, I've talked about it also. Uh, uh, I've talked about it on these these programs. I, I just think that until you've been there, it's very hard to understand just how profound that is. But let's – I, I want to talk more about that, but let's – something I skipped over, which I think is important, is your theory of consciousness because – you you read the books, you looked at the science, and you came up with a theory of consciousness, which is very close to mine, but not exactly the same, and we'll talk about that. But um, talk about consciousness, How, what, what's, what doesn't work, what's not right, and, and what does work. So let's start with the definition of consciousness, which is our, our sense of experiencing life. When I say that I am speaking right now, that I-ness, is what I mean by consciousness. So it's not something physical. It's not like I can touch my table right now, but I can't touch consciousness. And the mainstream perspective in, in most science textbooks says that consciousness comes out of our brain through right. complicated chemical and electrical reaction. That's, we have consciousness because of that. And the reason many scientists believe that to be true is there is a tight correlation between what happens to the brain and what happens to consciousness. So let's say someone has an injury in the part of the brain responsible for vision, the person has a corresponding shift in vision. So right. we can say, look, we change the brain, we change consciousness. So the brain's creating right. consciousness. Yes. And, and the, the mistake there potentially is correlation does not imply causation. And to yes. use uh, Dr. Bernardo Castrop's analogy, he says, when you have a large fire, there are lots of firefighters that show up. And if you have a larger fire, there are more firefighters that show up. There's a tight correlation between the size of the fire and the number of firefighters that appear. But do the firefighters cause the fire? <laughs> right. The answer is That's no. true. That's so true. So there's another explanation. And, and you know, the, one of those, those old-fashioned radios sitting on the table with, with uh, all kinds of stuff going on inside it, wires and, and bulbs and stuff, um, it doesn't generate Frank Sinatra's voice. 
Mm-hmm. But what, what, where does the voice come from then if it doesn't come from the radio? I mean, what they're doing is, to me, very analogous to trying to take apart the radio to find the source of the voice. It makes no sense. And I think many – you call it physicalism, which – I mean, I call it materialism, but it's really the same thing. It's the sense that somehow matter is important and matter generates consciousness, life, all of those things. And, of course, it does none of that. Yes, exactly. So, so you you um, talk about uh, panpsychism too, but then you reject it. What's panpsychism? I mentioned panpsychism in the book because it's it's getting a lot of media attention, whereas this other idea of where consciousness is more fundamental has not gotten as much mainstream attention. So panpsychism panpsychism addresses what's known as the hard problem of consciousness, and the hard problem is that our brain is made of matter. And consciousness is not something that's physical. So how is it that something physical, like a brain, could create a consciousness that isn't physical? And the open secret in science is that no one understands how this could happen. Of course. How how it could come out of the brain. They assume (laughs) that it does, but they don't know how. So there have been alternative theories to emerge. And one is this idea of panpsychism, which is that every unit of matter has consciousness embedded in it somehow. So when you put atoms together in a complicated way, like in a brain, you get complicated or complex consciousness. (laughs) I had never heard of it, but I think that's really cute. I mean, it's sort of like they're getting so close, closer and closer, but they're always this this oddly dependent group, uh, dependent on on matter. Matter is is the basis of everything for them or else nothing, you know, basically you can't play if you don't accept that matter is that. But clearly, of course, matter doesn't, isn't the source of consciousness. It's the other way around. Um, Okay, this is something I'm wrestling with right now. Maybe you can help us. We talk about it. The one mind of which all our minds are part, and that you talk about that mind as well, so do I, is probably the only thing that exists, right? Nothing mm-hmm. else exists. So um, that the panpsychism, and this is why it interested me, says that matter, therefore, is conscious because consciousness comes from matter. It must be conscious in some way. But if indeed mind is all that exists and everything that we think is real, all matter, everything else is, a, is, a, is a, an artifact of consciousness, might that also mean that, that um, consciousness, that uh, rather all matter is in some way conscious? Is that possible? This is a tricky subject because the, the language is so important. The way I I think about it, and I I like the way Rupert Spira, another philosopher in this area, has put it. He says, only consciousness is conscious. This one mind, this universal field that we're a part of. There are many names for that field. And and what I'm arguing and many others have argued is that all physical reality, including us as individual human beings, arise from this one mind. And that's the consciousness. So to say that matter is conscious the linguistics there imply that consciousness is coming out of matter. And that's the inverse of what I'm arguing here. So if we want to think about whether matter is a vehicle for consciousness, that's a different story. And that's more along the lines of what I think that the physical world is a a vehicle through which this one mind can have a certain type of experience. And it might happen through Mark. It might happen through Roberta. These are just different vehicles of experience. 
Okay, but the matter is entirely inert. Well, as we know, it isn't even solid. There's there's really no there there. Um, and we've talked about that also here. Everyone, there are, there are um, podcasts that talk about it. Um, okay, so your feeling is then that Matt, that, all right, well, then let's look at something that's analogous. And I'm sorry to go far afield, but these things are concerning to me. And you have so many good ideas about so many things. Wait, what do you think life is? Where does that come from? Have you thought about that? Well, I, I think to me, everything is an experience within this one mind of consciousness. So life is somehow an expression of the one mind in a physical form. Right. Okay. So because I've come to think that the only possible source of life is, in fact, consciousness. There doesn't seem to be um, – there's no way to make matter generate life any more than we can make it generate consciousness. I mean, both of it's, – it's, it's inert by its very nature. But um, it may be a property of consciousness because we know our minds are alive. We know the mind is alive. Um, and that seems, therefore, to, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think it may be true that life is, in fact, um, a, a, an innate property of consciousness. I think it's definitely possible that consciousness, <laughs> by, by its virtue, so that this gets into more inferential theoretical ideas, but to me, uh-huh. they, they seem likely that this one mind is intelligent because we are all part of the one mind and we have intelligence. And if the entire universe is embedded within the one mind, and if we look at the complexity of this massive universe, both at the large and the small scales, that is some kind of infinite complexity. And therefore, the one mind that underlies it must have a very high degree of intelligence, to put it mildly. Yes, yes. So within that field of massive infinite intelligence – it seems that life could easily be a byproduct. It might be a quality of this one mind that yes. it is yes. conscious, yes. intelligent, and therefore a byproduct of that is life. I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I've concluded as well. I love to. I love. I love that we agree on that. <laughs> you 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 talk. You you say that all of this implies that humans are infinite beings fundamentally interconnected with everything and everyone else, and you say this is huge. And I would just say yes. It really is huge. It solves so many problems. I mean, Occam's razor says the simplest explanation is probably the right one, right? I mean, we know that's not always true, but there's no need to get complex if it's if the answers are simple. And haven't you found that as you do this work, it solves so many little problems? It just makes things much feel much simpler and more straightforward and probably therefore right? That's what I've concluded, and also the evidence aligns with it. It's able to accommodate many phenomena. So my first book and my podcast, Where Is My Mind, evaluate many of these phenomena. So things like telepathy, remote viewing, which is seeing at a distance with the mind, psychokinesis, mind impacting matter, precognition, knowing or sensing the future before it happens, a near-death experience, which is where a person has a lucid consciousness and a barely functional or non-functional brain, or children with past life memories, the work at the University of Virginia. And uh-huh. you, mentioned, you mentioned mediumship earlier, communications with the deceased and the Windbridge Research Center's uh, five levels of blinding studies. So when I put all that together, it's very difficult to explain any of those phenomena with the idea that consciousness is somehow stuck in our skulls and limited yes. to the body. 
Yes, yes. Uh, you, it's it's very freeing to suddenly make this leap of insight that you've made and that other people, I think, are now making too much more readily because the information really is is all there. It's there's it, it's not hidden. It's quite it's quite out where out in the open now. Um, you talk about the need for for what you call radical humility. Because our minds are so much less, and, and I would just add, um, everyone listening, I mean, we know that in the process of getting ready to enter our bodies, we leave most of our vast eternal minds back home, right? So you do really do have much a much lesser mind when you're here, and it's one that is basically designed for radical learning for rapid rapid learning spiritually and that's really true we do need to be hum- humble about what we try to understand here because no matter how smart we are no matter how obvious the uh the the evidence is um it's very difficult for us to think in the way we will be able to think once we get back home so all of that is very very true one of the things that you quote, um, and, and I just have to tell you, everyone, this book is a very easy read. It's not that long, and it's got nice footnotes, but they're at the back. You don't have to go check them if you don't want to. And it's, the insights are quite wonderful and very, very straightforward, which I think is extremely important when we're trying to understand something that's very complex. You quote Biocentrism, which is the wonderful 2009 book by Robert Lanza and Bob Berman. And their chapter titled The Goldilocks Universe, by the late 60s, they say, it had been become clear that if the Big Bang had been just one part in a million more powerful, the cosmos would have blown apart too fast to allow stars and worlds to form. Result, no us. Even more coincidentally, the universe's four forces and all of its constants are just perfectly set up for atomic interactions, the existence of atoms, the elements, planets, liquid water, and life. Tweak any of them and you never existed. That's in biocentrism. And they're absolutely, by the way, this is, a, if you hadn't read this book, everybody, do read it. Um, it's called Biocentrism and it's out in the last decade. Just a wonderful book. But I would just add one thing. You know, we talk about the, the, con- the constants, and I know you're a fan of Rupert Sheldrake's too. So, um, there's a and on my blogs, uh, my my uh, blog posts, you'll be able to find if you look for it, everyone, um, a Rupert Sheldrake video, um, a, a TED talk, in which he talks about the fact that they keep the constants are not constant; they keep adjusting. Think about that for a minute. These cosmological constants, if they were a fraction off, the universe could not exist. But they do keep adjusting. So Rupert goes to to some fellow keeping these records and says, what are you doing about the fact that they keep adjusting? And he says, well, they might keep adjusting, but we won't know about it. Because what did he call it? Phase locking? Have you seen, have you seen this one, Mark? They, they just decided arbitrarily to set the cosmological constants so they can't change anymore. <laughs> wow. It sounds familiar, but I haven't looked at that recently. It is. So, it, I, well, I just love Rupert because he's so, he, he tells us all of this with a perfectly straight face and, <laughs> and, and their, their word for it was like something phase locking. I don't remember the first word, but this is how desperate science is not to be wrong, even though they've been wrong for the past hundred plus years. Anyway, I just had to share that with you. But um, but in fact, the, it, it is true, everyone, that if things were off, 
in all of these various factors by even a tiny, tiny bit, there would be no universe. And yet it exists and it's been stable for billions of years, which is all by itself, it seems to me, proof that there is a very, very smart eternal mind behind it all. So another thing you've discovered and getting back to consciousness now and and to um, spiritual growth, you say the purpose of the universe is to evolve consciousness. I'm not talking about Darwinian evolution, you say, through natural selection, and that's why I capitalized the E in evolve. You capitalized it and you also italicized it to differentiate it. You say, I'm talking about the idea that the one mind naturally seeks to better itself. That's a slightly different view from what we've been taking here, but I'm interested in your view. Can you talk about that? So the reason I I have come to that idea, which is going back to this idea of, of radical humility that you mentioned and the idea that the human mind is incapable of comprehending certain things, like the concept of infinity. Yes. We can't grasp what that is. So what I've tried to do is to, to almost linearize things that might not be linear or really comprehensible and try to look at pieces of evidence and draw inferences from that. So the, this notion of the evolution of consciousness comes largely out of the, the life review experience in, in the near-death experience. And so this is when a person, again, their brain is barely functional or it's completely off, and yet they have a highly lucid consciousness, sometimes hovering over their body, sometimes they see deceased relatives or religious or mystical beings or a being of light. And they often talk about a life review where they relive events in their life, but not only through their own perspective, but through the perspective of each of the people that they impacted and the third parties who were impacted as well. And one of the examples that I've given, I interviewed him, Daniel Brinkley, his stories is fascinating, although many people have had similar stories. He, was, he fought in Vietnam, and during his life review, and he had four of them because he had four near-death experiences, he relived the deaths of the people that he killed through their eyes, and he felt that pain, but he also felt the pain of the child that would no longer have a father because he had killed the father. So when he came back from his first near-death experience and life review, he changed his life dramatically, became a hospice volunteer, and in his later life reviews, he got to see what he was doing as a hospice volunteer through the eyes of the person that was dying. And he got to see that the, the joy that he was bringing to people. Um, so that's one example of, of many. And that suggests when combined with the notion of reincarnation, for which I think there's evidence from the University of Virginia and other places that that are somehow our consciousness enters a different body. And there's uh, there's some kind of a transference of information in that process from the previous life or past lives that combined with the life review implies that maybe we're here to learn things that we didn't learn in a previous life and to grow. Yes. And, and all of that's true. Just a couple of, of, of um, clarifications. Number one, we all know, we know that l- the life review is part of the death process. It always is. Um, near death experiencers never go, never actually completely die or they could not come back. But they do have in the astral these extraordinary experiences pulled from their own minds, which often include, as you say, a very um, good similitude of the actual uh, 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 life review that we all will have after death. And they allow us to experience how we've affected people from the perspective of the people we've affected, which is why poor Daniel Brinkley had an awful time in the beginning because he had done some terrible things. Um, In reading his book, that was what most delighted me, the fact that each of his NDEs uh, was 
was even more wonderful. He was basically living several lifetimes in that one lifetime um, by by getting better and better um, feedback and trying harder and harder each time. But indeed, there the the uh, life review is universal and we all will have one and knowing that you are going to to get to experience how you affected everybody including in some cases the most trivial things you that you do you forgot all about them you find out you've terribly traumatized someone and you had no idea that's the almost the worst part of going through one of these reviews but we all will do it so thank you for reminding us of that that's something that keeps us keeps us on the straight and narrow um so so as far as you're as you're concerned, you are comfortable with the notion of reincarnation, even if it's not because what happened within the group that um, uh, the the uh, University of Virginia has studied and Dr. Stevenson studied is that none of those people apparently actually died um, and went to the afterlife. Instead, they died and were. One of them talked about having been in a tree and watching and choosing a mother from there. Mm-hmm. It's a very different experience from what happens if we we you know do a traditional death and we go to the place that uh, we all go to after death. But what's interesting about it to me is these are pe- children who are born after somebody, their previous uh, personality, was murdered or died in some horrible, uh, violent way without any... Um, planning probably. I mean, there was one uh, one child who um, the previous personality had been killed with buckshot, and so all he had all these moles all on his chest where this this previous personality had been been shot and killed. Um, but if that's a whole. His work, Dr. Stevenson's work, and I recommend that also to everyone. Is it's groundbreaking? It's extraordinary, and we learn so much from it. But yes, reincarnation is a reality, and most of us, we are, we are told, live hundreds of lives. We don't just live a few, and we are we are learning just as you say. We have always been told, though, by the people that we used to think were dead, that those lives we were living were for our own spiritual growth, and we have our task when we come here is to grow is to raise our consciousness vibrations away from fear, anger, hatred, all the negative emotions, and toward more perfect love. That's why we're here. So therefore, that's it. We've told it was for ourselves, and you have a different perspective, though. The the perspective you have gained is that it's for the Godhead to grow spiritually. That universal mind is growing spiritually to make a better universe later. Talk about that because that I've never seen anyone say that before. Yeah, well, this is getting into the realm of speculation, of course. I, I definitely think that there is this notion of evolution at the, at the level of the individual, but the individual is part of the whole. So as the individual evolves, the whole is evolving That's at right. the same time. And this is part of the paradox and where language becomes challenging. So as the individual elevates him or herself, the, the entire consciousness level, in theory, would rise to some degree. So there's this notion that the way I think about it currently is that we are evolving toward the qualities of the one mind, which are things like infinite love and forgiveness and and things that we would aspire to. So as we evolve ourselves, really we're evolving to what our innate qualities are as the one mind itself. So there seems to be some kind of collective preference maybe for all of us to try to get to that level 
that's that's really theoretical, but it seems to me that that's what this physical life is about, is that we are all on that journey individually, but as part of the collective. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a shade different maybe from what we've been talking about, but not enough of a difference to really matter. Um, you you t- talk about, um, and, and I guess you get quite a bit of this from Buddhism, right? Um, you, you, you talk about 10 characteristics, which I'm going to read to people because I think that it's important to look at them from the viewpoint also of what we've been talking about here. Non-judgmentalism, well, yes, that's certainly something that we talk about here. Surrender, and by that I think you mean uh, not trying to hold yourself apart from the experience of living. Talk about surrender, and then we'll talk about the rest. Well, many of these qualities stem from radical humility. This idea that our mind is not capable of understanding what is actually happening, and if there is purpose and meaning, what exactly that purpose and meaning is. We might be able to, to, to get glimpses of it, like the tip of an iceberg, but not really understand the full picture. And because we don't have that lens of the full picture, and, and the analogy I use in the book is like a helicopter hovering above a maze. And if you, from the helicopter's perspective, you can see where the person is in the maze and what's ahead. But the person who's in the maze can't see everything from that perspective. There's a limitation inherently by being in the maze. So because we are we're sort of like that person in the maze, because we're in a physical body, we're restricted in terms of our consciousness, it's, it's restricted, we can't know certain things. And therefore, to judge something as inherently good or bad becomes impossible. That doesn't mean it's not possible to have a preference for something. And if, if consciousness is this kind of infinite love, there seems to be a drive toward that. But even yes. something that might be bad, quote unquote, could be leading to the evolution toward a more loving life. So yeah. that's the, the non-attachment yes. um, idea. But you, you asked about surrender. So surrender is to say, wait a second, I don't really know what's best here. I know there are general principles that seem to be preferred, like to treat people well, for example, and to try to improve ourselves. But because I don't really know what's best, an attitude of surrender says, why don't I try my best to channel the intelligence from the broader stream of consciousness that I'm a part of? And it's kind of a mental shift. It's not something that I can say to physically do. It's an approach to living. Yeah. Um, and But again, everyone, all of these are also characteristics um, uh, uh, principles which come out of the teachings of Jesus. Whether or not he said them, he said things very close to them. Non-judgmentalism, yes, surrender. Non-resistance, forgiveness, compassion with discernment. I love that one. Authenticity, stewardship, non-conceitedness, and commitment. All of them. All of those are very important characteristics that come as we continue to grow spiritually. But I love the fact that you, you're emphasizing not trying to control it yourself because are we, as you say, are we just our minds are not good enough, um, not not strong enough, not don't have the, the the bandwidth to really be able to understand even what's going on from minute to minute. Never mind. Um, what the best thing is. We often cannot imagine what the best thing is. You know, the old joke, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Mm -hmm. Well, very often our plans are just not at all what is best for us, for our spiritual growth, or for the world either. I mean, we've, we've... 
We're surrounded now by the results of plans made by and carried out by people who sincerely were trying to do something good, and we see what a botch they all made of it. So it's time for us to grow spiritually and to let go and let God a lot more than we ever have before. You mentioned them a little bit earlier, but I just want to emphasize that this is another wonderful thing in your book. You share some of what you call awakening experiences in meditation and otherwise, and I found them fascinating because my own growth has been much more subtle or often dramatic. Um, for example, uh, someone is in meditation, suddenly they see bright lights and they're, they're, they're transformed in ways. Does that trans- transformation last when this happens? You talked about this a bit too. Yeah, that's a great point, this, this awakening process, which can be gradual for some people, and sometimes they can be stunning and spectacular and happen kind of instantaneously. There is a question, though, about integration of the experience, and it can be challenging for someone who has such an intense experience, and sometimes the person didn't even know about spirituality when it happened, and that can be very difficult. Yes. But to, to integrate the experience into everyday living, and I think that's what it's about. Uh, so what, what you described, I think, is, is similar to what I've experienced, a gradual shift where I look back to where I was six months ago and I see there's a difference, but I can't pinpoint one event. Exactly. It's it's surprising as you notice the changes. You sort of notice them after the fact by the effects they have on you, and and you you realize you're not going back ever to what you were before. It's just a a very – you and I have a lot more to talk about. We're coming to the end of our time, believe it or not. I still have so many notes that I would like to go over with you, so we're going to need to do this again. Everybody, Mark Gover has given us a very remarkable gift. There are many people listening now who perhaps don't have a Christian background or maybe their background is a little too Christian and the notion of learning from Jesus feels toxic at this point. Or maybe they just want to get their information from science rather than from uh, any any of the softer uh, sources. There are a lot of people listening to us for whom these are just exactly the right books to learn from. And they they work as a unit together. I, I recommend that they be read together. But I very seldom, as you know, uh, I probably four or five times in, what has it been, 13 years, um, have I um, ever uh, recommended books to this extent. But I do think everybody ought to read Mark's books. I think that you should read them because they – talk about the same things that we we talk about and that I talk about in my fun, my, my fun books, but they talk about them from a totally different perspective and with different sources. And my experience in, I'm a skeptic by nature, and my experience in finally giving up my skepticism required that I get the same information really from many sources. And that being the case, this is a great additional set of information for for all of you that doesn't precisely agree with me but it doesn't need to it agrees with the truth and i think that's the most important thing um so i never i very seldom will recommend books this strongly but i do think everyone who is interested in growing spiritually ought to read these books an end to upside down thinking and an end to upside down living by mark gober they're I think they're future classics, Mark, but everyone, we can read them today, so I hope you will. So you have a very easy web address because it's just your name, markgober.com. Is that still your main address? It is. I'll put that and also the two organizations that Mark is now on the boards of um, into the notes so so you can sort of follow through and see what he's up to. Um, Mark, what do you want people most to know? 
about all of this? I'm glad we talked about the life review because that, like you said, it's a good reminder because we yes. have blinders on when we're in the body and that has shifted my life dramatically to know yes. what, and I've heard that feedback from a lot of people because that can change everything. You think about every interaction throughout the day with right. any living being becomes yes. different. How am I, how am I treating this person or being? So I would say to consider the possibility of a life review and look at some of the evidence, which is book, but also my podcast. I think that's impactful to hear the voices of both the scientists and the people that have had life reviews. Um, but in summary, when I've been asked, hey, Mark, you don't have much time to explain what your second book's about. What's your conclusion about, about living and setting your compass? And the way where I am right now, and it could shift over time, I'm, I'm still new on this journey, but I think ultimately it's about this notion of service because we are part of the one mind and everything else is us to some degree. We are connected and we are, we are serving ourselves by serving others. And the way that we do that, at least at this point in my journey, is to perfect ourselves, to become the best version and most authentic version of ourselves, so that we can be the best stewards of our gifts to the world to help others. And that's been a massive shift for me where I was focused on so many more materialistic things that were not bringing satisfaction. Now my compass is really, really honed in on this idea of personal spiritual development to shed whatever is holding me back and thereby being able to serve better in the world. Well, I'm going to ask you to come back probably seven or eight months from now and tell us where you are at that point, but also finish. I, there are things here I still want to talk to you about, um, I, and I think they're important enough. I would like to do this again. So so we will get together again um, as soon as we can, can get to that point. We're usually booked seven or eight months ahead, but if I can get you in sooner, I will. I'm very glad you were here today, Mark. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the work that you do, and I look forward to talking again soon. It's going to be fun. All right, everybody, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, and I'm very glad you were with us today. I think this is important information. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Karen Anderson. She's a wonderful animal communicator who will be with us for the fourth time. I receive frequent emails from people who have just lost a pet or whose pet is ill, and they want to know how they can help. So I've suggested to Karen that it might be time for her to come back and give everyone a refresher course in communicating with our beloved animals, both here and in the afterlife. Karen's terrific book is called The Amazing Afterlife of Animals, Messages and Signs from Our Pets on the Other Side. It's a three-year-old book now that has been in, on, an Amazon number one bestseller and the winner of actually a variety of book awards as well. And it's full of the kind of happy stories that bereaved pet lovers need. If you have fur babies who are important to you, and a lot of people do, please join us next week and learn how to communicate with them better wherever they are. And this week we've been talking with the wonderful Mark Gober, who's been here for the second time, but we'll be back. Mark was with us last to talk about his breakthrough book on consciousness called An End to Upside Down Thinking. I urge you to go back and listen to that interview. I think it's about 18 months ago, something like that. He did, he did a beautiful job there, and you'll learn a lot more about that book. And then, uh, frankly, I hope you'll read it as well. As is true whenever somebody makes a breakthrough discovery, as Mark did learning about consciousness, he has now looked at the implications for the world. 
That's what good and great people do. And he's looked at how we can use the truth to live our own best lives. His answers, or the starts of them, are in his new book called An End to Upside-Down Living. And they agree precisely or pretty close with what I've learned from entirely different sources. And it took me a whole lot longer than it's taking Mark. I'm recommending these two pretty brief and easily understood books without reservation as a way to jumpstart your voyage toward learning and understanding what is true. Mark is now giving his considerable energies toward helping the new consciousness paradigm dawn more broadly and then we'll be able to begin to work together for every human being on the face of the earth to become all that they can be and we can create a world in which peace reigns. So I'm very glad to have Mark here today, and I do urge you to read his books. If you ever want to talk about anything at all, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. It usually takes a few days, but you will get an answer. And if you don't, then please, you know, after a week or two, send me another email and say, hey, you forgot me, because sometimes I don't get the um, address right. And so they, they go into the nether, and they never arrive back at your your um computer and I want I want to answer every question so please just let me know if you haven't heard back past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net realrevolutionradio.com iHeart iTunes and in a bunch of other places including the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family and a lot of people tell me that they just got the app for free in the iTunes app store and Seek Reality comes to them every week without any effort at all and, of course, if you enjoy our weekly conversations, I hope you'll give our, my blog a try. The, po- the posts are sent out every Sunday morning very early, and some people say, you know, it's better than church now that I can't go to church. I read your blog posts. So you might want to check those out because we talk about the same things we talk about here. Meanwhile, everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.